Hey, we are in our second sermon in this series, Share Hope. If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. Um, Luke chapter 8. And uh, if you have your phones, you can turn there. Luke chapter 8. I'm just going to read the first several verses. But um, have you ever asked your child, or maybe your child has asked you, or someone that you oversee in terms of uh, business, hey, did you, did you hear what I said? And they'll say, yeah, I heard what you said. And then you'll say, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. Because we understand that to hear what someone says is to believe and do it. And so when you look at the scriptures, the word here is not talking about merely are your auditory senses working correctly. It's actually talking about if you hear the word, if you hear truth, um, the, the, the Bible intends and hopes and the posture of the Bible is that you would not only just hear in your auditory senses, but that you would believe and do the truth of the Bible. So we're in the second sermon and share hope. This morning we're talking about share hope without distinction, that we share the hope, the expectation of something good with anybody and everyone, that we don't look at this particular person and say, oh, they're pretty moral. They have their act together. They're already inclined to religious things. I'm going to share hope with them, but I'm not going to share hope with this person over here because they're far from God. They're, they're not interested. So we share hope without distinction. And as we share hope, we pray that it produces faith. Right? And the success is seen in actually sharing. Right? The failure is, as we were just singing, is to not do what we know we're supposed to do as a follower of Christ. The success is simply sharing hope. And so my hope over the course of this sermon series as we've talked as, as a team is that if you're not aware of lostness, if you go throughout your day and throughout the rhythms of your life and you're just not attuned to lostness and you don't think about losses, if you begin to move and see people the way Jesus sees them, I think that's a win. I think that's a win because we want to play the long game with you as you want to play the long game with us and as God plays the long game with us, right? God does not look at us and say, here's where you need to be and I'm going to give you three hours and nine minutes to get there. If not, I'm going to smite you. He takes the long game with us and so... Ministry is playing the long game with people's hearts. And so I just want to see, maybe, maybe you need to become aware of losses. Maybe you live your life and you don't even care. Maybe you need to start caring. So I'm praying and hoping that this sermon series awakens us to the mission and vision that God has placed uh, on Larry's heart and to our church to reach neighborhoods, generations, and the nations for Jesus, to see them transformed. So Luke chapter 8, if you will, let's stand together and read God's Word. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 8. So you guys are doing slides, just those first several verses. And here's what God's Word says to us. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. A parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, typically about salvation, something about what it means to be a believer and follower of Jesus. So whatever he's saying, we need to listen. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears... Let him hear. This is God's word to us. May God bless the preaching and the listening of it. And let's pray just for a moment. Father, I pray 
that as I preach at an overflow of my time with you and as I listen to your word and as we all sit under the Bible, may we believe and do the things that Jesus tells us. May we have ears to hear, to hear correctly, which means that we would actually live these things that we need help. We need help. We need your grace. Would you help us understand it? And would you help us do it to the glory of our great resurrected King, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus tells this parable, this earthly story with the heavenly meaning, in order to kind of separate casual observers from those who are really earnest and desirous of the things of God. You've got people who really are disinterested in the things of God and those who are interested. And so he, he tells this parable to uh, convey that I, I do not want superficial, surface-level fellowship. I want you to really lean in and hear with your ears and believe and, and do. So the title of the message is, Have You Been Hearing Lately? How have you been hearing lately? And the, and the main point, if you will, from this text is that we are to hear in the right way to hear in the right way. As we share hope without distinction, we share hope with anybody and everybody indiscriminately. It doesn't matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, and who they've done it with. We share Christ. We share hope with anybody and everybody. And as we do that, we want to pray that it produces faith in their life. And we want them, if it's going to produce faith, they have to hear in the right way. So to not hear means to not believe and do. Now, the disciples actually asked Jesus, Jesus, what are you talking about? Now, I find this super encouraging. I don't know about you. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 13 where Jesus has just given this parable, talks about this sower sowing seed, and, and, you, and you have the disciples like, that's right, amen, we believe that, we embrace that, I receive that, Jesus. And then, and then they have some people who come to the disciple and are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Sowing the seed, rocky ground, thorny ground, fruity ground. What is it about? And you can imagine Peter, who was a little petulant, who a little forthright, saying, listen, brother, you need to pray and ask the Spirit of God to help you understand. And then Peter goes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm having a lot of people ask me what you mean. What do you mean? I've been with you 24-7, boss, but I don't know what's going on. Can you help me understand it? I find it super encouraging because there's oftentimes I read the Bible and I don't understand, Right? Right, because not all of us understand all the words of the Bible. So every time I read the Bible with my family, with my and, and in my own, I ask, Spirit of God, help me understand the Bible. And so the disciples want to know what's going on. And Jesus says the mystery, or he says the secrets of heaven, namely salvation, have been given to you. It's a word in the Gospel of Luke that means something that God has to unveil. It's not something that we can work at, but God has to open our eyes to see the truth and the majesty of Jesus. And Jesus tells the crowds and the disciples, when you hear the truth, hear it, really hear it in the manner that God desires his word to be heard. Internalize it, believe it, and do it, or else you're going to be like a person 
that one of our early church fathers, Augustine, says. He says, you're going to be like a person. If you don't really believe and do the things of God, you're going to be like a person who sees beautiful writing in a foreign language, and you might admire the calligraphy, you might admire the style, but you cannot appreciate the meaning. And in the same way, a person who does not believe and do the things of God is like a man who looks at the writing and may appreciate it, but doesn't really understand what it's actually saying. It's not enough just to give lip service to the things of God and say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He's got some principles. He wants me to help him in my marriage. No, we need to understand truly what he has come to do and convey to us. And so we want to share hope and pray that people would have saving faith. And we want to share it indiscriminately, without distinction. And he gives four scenarios. The first is along the ground or a hard heart. You've got four Scenarios there, and you've got a couple fill in the blanks. A hard heart. This is a person who's not interested in spiritual realities. They don't care to have conversations. The problem is not with the person presenting the Bible, presenting the truth, sharing the good news of Jesus, or the way it was presented. The problem is with the hearer. The problem is with the hearer. They may have been hardened by bitter experiences in life, by an unjustified prejudice towards God an unwillingness to turn away from a particular sin, a cold indifference or apathy to spiritual truth, a hardship where they're mad at God at. I had a friend of mine who owns a, a store in Clarksville, a sports guard store. His name is Stan, and Stan lost a child to cancer. Um, she was 12, and he doesn't want to have any conversation about God. We've known each other for nine or 10 years, and I've shared with him many times, but he doesn't have any, any desire to talk about the things of God. He has a hard heart, understandably so, by the way, understandably so. And so what's our role? What's our responsibility? Well, we just move on. We don't want to spend time. No, that's not our, our role is to pray that God would give them soft hearts, that God would give them soft hearts. We want to share hope and pray that saving faith will come about even in the heart of a person who has a hard heart. Then he gives a second scenario, rocky ground or a shallow or superficial heart. It was a common difficulty for Palestinian farmers. They only had a few inches of soil to work with, and a plant may sprout up quickly, but it's not going to survive because there's not a depth of soil for the roots to go deep. And so there's not real true life that is taking place. And the application to the hearer is that we hear the truth. They're happy to receive the truth. And at first, it seems to give them life. They have a seemingly a kind of faith. They have a kind of faith. They appear to have joy, but when trouble comes and hardships come, they turn away from the Christian faith. And what initially seemed to be a commitment to Jesus turns out not to be faith at all because true saving faith is an enduring faith. True saving faith is an enduring faith. We want to share hope without distinction, but when we share hope, we want to convey that to believe and follow Jesus is to believe and follow Jesus all the days of your life. We don't make a decision we're 10 or 18 or 37 or 64, and that's it. That decision is enduring. And Jesus says, Jesus says, not me. Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be, will be saved. 
will be saved. And I am all about once saved, always saved. I think at times that's given us a license to actually not understand that we need to have some holy sweat in our lives and continue to believe and follow Jesus. I think a better saying is once believed, forever following is maybe a better description of what the Bible teaches. And yet I embrace both. Once saved, always saved. Once believed, always following. They're both theologically true and right. But we want to share hope, praying that faith would be produced without distinction in people's lives. And we need to be honest about this in people's lives. And so this is a person, when troubles come and hardships come, they say, this is really not for me. And I want to be real honest here. As conservative evangelical Christians, oftentimes I find on social media, sidebar conversations, we will make fun of and mock people who believe in a theology called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches that if you believe sincerely and want to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to pour out health and wealth and favorable circumstances. And we know intuitively as we read the Bible, that's not right. And yet, when things happen in our lives, we say things, I don't know why that happened to them. They've been faithful. They've been steadfast. I don't know why he got cancer. Cancer should have gone to that guy. Because they've been, they follow Jesus. They're giving, they're serving, they're teaching the Bible. She's uh, committed to helping out in various ways. I don't know why these things happen. And be, before we know it, there's a little bit of prosperity gospel theology that's coming to our heart. We rail and we hate on those people, TV preachers and books that you probably shouldn't read, you should burn, that say things that are unbecoming of being a believer and following Christ. And yet in all of our hearts at times, we ask the question, why should this happen to me? When honestly, we should probably not be surprised. We should not be surprised when hardships happen. Let's just walk through the Bible real quickly. Jesus had some hardships. Unless you hyper-spiritualize the crucifixion of Jesus and say he didn't really physically actually go through pain. That's heresy and not true. Jesus actually was beaten, mocked, stabbed in the side, had the Father turn his gaze away from the Son, who in eternity past, they had harmony. There was real physical hardship with Jesus. Moses? Moses was hanging out with church people for 40 years in the desert, complaining and grumbling, and he wasn't even allowed to go in. He was allowed to see it, but wasn't allowed to go in. Jeremiah prophesied against the people, turn, 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 and then he actually goes into exile with the people that he was telling to turn and repent. Paul, Paul had some hardships. He was constantly mocked, beaten, left for dead several times, shipwrecked. On the second time, he shipwrecked. He's swimming ashore. He's doing freestyle. He's getting to the shore. He finally gets there, and then he's bitten by a poisonous snake. Come on, God. I mean, seriously. Hardships, hardships, hardships. But Paul says, I'm perplexed. I'm confused, but it's not crushing me. Heather Vienne. Cancer, Cynthia Puckett, people who've had all these hardships. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. I don't understand. That's okay. It's right. It's godly. It's honest as we live in the world and there's brokenness and there's hardship. My spouse leaves. I lose my job. What's going on? But it's not going to destroy me. Why? Because we have roots that go deep. Because we understand the God in whom we believed and served in. The person who shows initial enthusiasm but doesn't have depth, when hardships come, you know what they're going to say? This is not for me. I thought God was better than this. 
If he loves me, why is he allowing this to happen? A couple thoughts here. When we share hope without distinction, when we move to be aware, when we move to speak the words of Jesus, we need to be mindful that when you believe and follow Jesus, you are signing up for suffering. It is not this Pollyanna glamorous life. It is hard. It is difficult. Jesus wants every ounce of our lives surrendered to him. High school students, middle school students, as you go on retreats and you have this high of the weekend and you go and you have these little weekend romances that happens on youth retreats and you go back and I'm going to live for Jesus in a way that I've never lived for Jesus, your faith should not be relegated to the highs of camp or a mission trip or a retreat. It's to be an enduring faith and Jesus wants every ounce of your life surrendered to him. And not just them, you, the 77-year-old. Every single part of our life. We need to be honest as we share hope without distinction with whoever we run into. That I want you to know to follow Jesus is the most marvelous decision in all the world. It's the easiest decision in all your life. It's also so difficult because Jesus is relentlessly committed. And he wants you to go deep. So the decision that you make is to be cultivated. And you want to grow and go deep in the things of God. So when hardships come, and they will, you can weather them. So there's an importance of becoming a disciple in the way that the Bible describes. And we do not serve people well. Hear me out. This is a hard word, and I'm going to say a couple more hard words. We do not serve people well by giving them false assurance. When a person who says, I made a decision when I was 18, I made a decision when I was 12, and there has been no fruit in their life for year after year and decade after decade, that is not a category that the Bible knows. The Bible would say that person is not truly converted, truly saved. It's an enduring faith. We're not saved by works, but we are saved to actually believe and trust and follow Christ. And as we follow him, God has prepared a life of works for us. Ephesians 2.10. We want to quote verse 8. For saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, but verse 10 is we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus that we would walk in good works, that we would live our lives of good works. Our good works, our lives, give a glimpse into the sincerity of our profession of faith. Do you screw up? Do you fail? Do we make an absolute mess of the Christian life at times? Yeah, come to 3502 Cameron Miller Road and watch my life. I make a mess of it sometimes. But there's an enduring faith by God's grace and the Spirit of God who's empowering me to continue to live in this hope that I have. We want to share hope with People. Does this happen a lot, by the way? People who have an enthusiasm, a joy, and a seeming faith? It does. I had a high school girl at the previous church just simply said to her mom and dad and our student pastor, I just don't believe these things anymore. She went off to college. She goes, I just don't, I just don't believe these things anymore. The high school student who was so amped about Jesus, the student who grew up in church but goes to college, maybe IU, IUS, UofL, probably not UK, and just drifts away. <laughs> just drifts away. The middle-aged man or woman who says, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be married to you. I don't want to do this anymore. The skeptic who seemed to be convinced about the truth of Jesus, who's begun to delve into other religions, Joshua Harris who had 
written several books, pastored a mega church, spoke at conferences, has come out on Instagram and Facebook, says, there's been a lot of changes in my life and I just don't believe. And by every account, what I believe now, if I took my previous teaching and preaching and evaluated who I am now, I am not a believer. Someone who's almost 50 walked away from the faith for 40 years of his life, influencing millions of people, which God used him to influence millions of people, has said, I just don't believe these things anymore. One pastor said this in reference to scenario two. This is hard, painfully true. Here's what one pastor said. So if you get mad at me, get mad at the pastor who said this. I guess I'm quoting it so you could get upset with me. This is talking about men and women who can point back to an event and say, I said the prayer, I walked the aisle, I heard the message, I said yes to it, but from that moment have had no objective evidences of conversion being born again in my life. They've not grown in their love for Jesus. They've not grown in their worship of him. They don't hate sin. They literally have a moment to point back to, and outside of that, nothing else. And when pastors, sometimes you, And I press on the issues in one-on-one conversations. The conversation goes like this. Well, when I was seven years old, somebody basically said to me, do you want to go to heaven? I said, yes, I want to go to heaven. Who doesn't want to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. And then I walked down the aisle, and someone told me something that I needed to say. I said it out loud. I got baptized. And ever since that time, there's been a moral pattern in my life, but I've not been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. They don't have roots. They're not willing to repent. They're not willing to grow. They're not willing to study the Bible. They don't want to be accountable. Eh, go to church. I don't want to do that. Serve, give, get, stop getting involved in my life. Could this be scenario two of someone in your life? Possibly. I think it describes a lot of people. There's excitement, a profession of faith, but then difficulties arise, a loss of a job, bad relationships, financial problems, a misunderstanding with other Christians, physical ailments, and as quickly as they shot up, it's shot back down, and they departed from it because they were never really in it. As we share hope without distinction, and we want to pray that saving faith would come forth in people's lives, and we want to be honest We want to be honest about what it means to believe and follow Jesus. Well, then he gives this third scenario. This is the person who hears the word, but the worries of the world and the seduction of wealth have a choking effect. Now, not a knockout effect, a choking effect. Have you ever been choked out? Probably not, okay? WWF back in the day, all that stuff was fake, but uh, maybe fake. If that just blew your mind, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, people who get choked out, it doesn't happen in an instant, right? Like somebody knocks you out, you get knocked out in an instant. But to be choked out, it's incrementally over time, the seduction of wealth and the worries of the world begin to creep in and it chokes out any real belief and fellowship of Jesus. This is a person who has a preoccupied heart. They have a preoccupied heart. And they're evaluating the truth of following Jesus in light of all of the affairs in their life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of the world, and those things begin to choke out any serious attention to following Jesus. And Jesus has spent a lot of time here, but there is just such a, 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 an attractiveness, a deceitfulness of wealth. My wife and I got married at 22 and 20, and we made about $18,000 the first couple years. We were poor and didn't even know it, okay? 
And it's always, I think it's a little comical. I mean, I was going to school full time. She was in an allied health degree, uh, eight to five, Monday through Friday. She nannied from five to eight, Tuesdays through Thursdays. I was a college pastor. I worked full time at fifth third and took 12 to 18 hours of seminary. So when a seminary student or a college student tells me I'm really busy, I say, no, you ain't. You've got a lot more margin, okay? But we were poor and didn't even know it. Now, I don't make $18,000 a year now. Praise Jesus, from whom all blessings flow, okay? I've got four little sinners in my home. I love you kids um, because they came from two big sinners. And so I've got, there's expenditures, there's things, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. And I don't make, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I make more money than I did then. And there's an attractiveness and a deceitfulness to wealth. It captures my heart at times. I love it at times. And if I'm not careful, what it can do is it can choke out a desire and a love and a fellowship for Jesus. You see the insidious, dangerous nature of wealth. Those who have it, those who don't have it, want it, but will never have enough. And those who do not have it, want more of it. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And Jesus is not saying... When you share hope indiscriminately, whoever you share hope with, pray that they have saving faith. But when you hear it, help people understand that they cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve money and Jesus. You cannot serve relationships and Jesus. You cannot serve all the things of the world and Jesus. Jesus is to be the master. And if you're going to try to have two masters, you're always going to neglect one or the other. And Jesus is the only one in whom we are to have allegiance to. And as we share hope with people, we pray that it would produce saving faith and that these things would not choke out faith. Then he gives scenario four, right? The word goes forth. He who has ears, let him hear. The word goes out in a Bible study, a youth retreat, a Sunday morning sermon, a small group, and you hear it and you receive it for what it is. This is what Paul talks about to the Thessalonians. I'm so thankful, Thessalonians, Thus, Christians who live in Thessalonica, that when you heard our words, you heard them not as the words of men, but as they really are, the word of God. They, they heard rightly. Because what did they do? They believed and they did the truth of God. And so there's this evidence of a changed heart. We're not saved by good works. We're not saved by our actions. But a total absence of them over the course of a person's life indicates that they've not heard Jesus rightly. As James Boyce says, it's the presence of fruit that is the important thing, not the amount of it. I'm meeting with two brothers um, every other week. We're reading through the Bible together out loud. We're memorizing Scripture. We're reading another book together to help us walk in the Spirit and follow Jesus. And if they were here, they'd tell you, you know what, I've, I've, I've done some stupid things in my life. But you know what, I'm not discouraged at all by what they've done. I'm actually encouraged that they're getting after Jesus. They want to read about him. They want to follow him. They want to repent of sin. You know what they're doing? They're hearing the words of Jesus rightly. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let them hear. So as I close, I know you're surprised. It's 9.58. you got like 14 more minutes. As I close, people do not drift towards an earnestness and a desire to believe and follow Jesus. They do not drift. 
God has created us as worshipers. A believer and an unbeliever are worshipers. Our hearts are always moving. They're always moving towards something and someone. Either they are moving towards Jesus or they're moving away. Even to be stagnant or complacent or apathetic is to be moving away from Jesus. We are either moving to Jesus, towards him, or moving away. So when you hear the word, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let her hear. What are you doing? Is it having a hardening effect where you put up excuses and say, I know Jesus said this, but I don't want to believe and do that. Or are you saying, yes, yes. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise. We drift towards tolerance. We drift towards prayerlessness. We drift towards rebellion. We drift towards disobedience. We have to make a decision to ask the Spirit of God, may I hear rightly. I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to have a shallow heart. I don't want to have a preoccupied heart. I want to have a fruitful heart that believes and do the things of God. As hope was shared with me, I want to lean into this message. And as I share hope with other people, indiscriminately, without distinction, this person, that person, and that person, I want them to understand that to hear the message of hope is to believe and do the things of God. And the success is actually in sharing hope. We can't change hearts. Who does that? The Spirit of God changes hearts. So here's some questions as I close. How are you hearing? How are you hearing? Which soil are you? The hard heart? The shallow heart? The preoccupied heart? Or the fruitful heart? Is your heart moved when you hear the Bible, when you read the Bible, when you hear it prayed, when you sing, is your heart moved or mm, it does nothing for me. It doesn't move my heart. As we share hope, we want to share hope with others, whoever we come in contact with. But as we share with them, we want to pray that they would have faith in their life, that it would produce faith. But also, as we share, we want to be who we say we are. We want, to, we want our own message to reflect what we're doing and believing in our own heart, that we want to have faith to believe and trust, to have an open heart, to have a receptive heart, to have a humble heart, to have a teachable heart, to have a dependent heart. Share hope without distinction and praying it produces saving faith, not only in the one we share with, but that each of us will continue to believe and do. So last question, Graceland, how are you hearing? How are you hearing?